It's Valentine's Day. A happy Valentine's Day to you on this Monday, February 14th. You're locked into Real Talk coming up in just a second. We have an exclusive with a demonstration organizer, a counter protester, so to speak, that went toe to toe with Edmonton police officers over the weekend. An interesting threat, some supercharged language from Edmonton's police officers. So we're going to get to that in a second. Plus some movers and shakers still in their high school years. I've told you the story before. I remember my first act of of political activism, my first expression, my, my, my first moment that I stepped out and had my heart in my throat a little bit and walked out of high school to send a message to then Alberta Premier Ralph Klein. It sort of planted a seed within me and and students. It's expected hundreds, maybe thousands of them today are going to do exactly that. We're going to talk to three of those organizers. I would say the leaders of tomorrow, but you, you might suggest they're the leaders of today based on what they're doing. Plus, we're going to talk about intimacy droughts and intimacy famine, in fact, with author and relationship expert Michelle Drouin should be an interesting conversation and news as it develops. The prime minister has just invoked the Emergencies Act. What does that mean? This just moments ago, an announcement from Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. So we've got a lot of ground to cover today. We also have an unbelievable Dairy Queen cake that's sitting in studio right now, and it's distracting us all. Uh, I'm not sure how long this thing's going to last. We might have to start hammering away at it. I'm going to tell you about that more in a few minutes, but you know who gets the first mention every morning. It's our friends at Bitcoin. Well, you got a question about Bitcoin? They don't shy away from the tough questions. If you're paying attention to crypto right now, you're probably seeing that advertising is going mainstream. You see advertising for crypto on Hockey Night in Canada and at halftime at the Super Bowl. And then you hear a bunch of other people saying, yeah, these are just crypto bros. And you're going, well, what's the real deal? If you want to ask questions, they get right to the point. You want your answers to be right back at you. I recommend Bitcoin. Well, Benny in particular, you'll find him under the sponsors tab at RyanJesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. So here's our assessment of what's happening. And depending on when you listen to this Monday, who knows, the story could change from there. The Ambassador Bridge traffic appears to be moving again, which means trade and commerce can happen again between Detroit and Windsor. Uh, The same story with Ottawa. It appears as though demonstrators there, these, these convoy supporters, have reached an agreement, at least in principle, with Ottawa's mayor, Jim Watson. They're trying to get them out of Ottawa's residential areas and out of the downtown. The Coots border remains blocked in Alberta right now. And then there was the goings on in our home city of Edmonton over the weekend, in particular on River Valley Road. It's my favorite road to drive in Edmonton. Goes by a golf course and and goes by a a couple of fitness facilities. You know, you see people walking and running along the river. It's a pretty high-profile location, one lane in each direction, and the convoy was headed down River Valley Road. So knew the organizers that put together a counter-protest. Didn't last forever, but it lasted long enough to get everybody's attention. Emma Jackson is one of the organizers of that counter-demonstration, kind enough to join us out of the gates on the show this morning. Emma, welcome to Real Talk. It's nice to see you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So how, how much planning goes into something like this? How did this all come about? How did you get people to join you? Tell us the story. Yeah, I mean, there's a, a fair amount of planning that goes into an action like this. Um, obviously, you know, I don't want to disclose too much, but it was a, a handful of us that came together that have been involved in organizing similar demonstrations uh, and actions like this, you know, in, in the past. And, you know, we really came together because we were, frankly, uh, very fed up. Um, seeing what's going on in our city, 
um, seeing the far right really organize under the guise of a working class movement when we know that that has not and has never really been the case um, with this movement. And so came together in order to to stand up and say, you know, hate isn't welcome in this city. And 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 we're willing to stand up and to keep our community safe. Of course, the imagery pretty powerful. You know, you've got these big trucks brought to a standstill by essentially pedestrians and some cyclists. Um, you had several dozen out there. I, I don't know what you'd estimate. I would say maybe 100, something like that. A decent number of people. Edmonton police are there. Were they there waiting for you when you arrived? How did the interaction with the police begin? Yeah, so um, the convoy was sort of using the Royal Glenora uh, parking lot as a bit of a staging ground. And people were kind of traveling up from there in order to join uh, the march that was happening at the legislature. So there were already, you know, a handful of police officers that that were deployed there. Um, but it took only about 15 or 20 minutes before, you know, additional police arrived. And then there were at least three units that were deployed um, throughout the sort of duration of, of the action. Um, and yeah, I, I feel like as we've seen and as we've heard, um, the sort of uh, contrast in the, in the way that we were treated um, was really, really stark. And so for many of us that organized this demonstration, we did so, you know, really watching the way that the police has you know, been woefully and inadequate over the past three weeks um, in responding to the demonstration, both in Ottawa, the one at the, the Coots border, and really across the country. And so we said, you know, we're going to take this into our own hands and we're going to do what it takes to keep our community safe. We've had many, many people, especially people of color who have been harassed downtown um, by convoy participants. And so, yeah, it, it was about us, you know, standing up and saying, uh, it's time to take matters into our own hands. And that's what we did. Uh, I was keeping an eye on it, obviously. And, and it had been a few days prior. There had been a pretty significant interruption to a convoy in Vancouver by a whole bunch of cyclists that had clogged up an intersection. The imagery again, very powerful. You tweeted something out. And I think that this is where the whole story really ramped up. Emma, you said I was told by the police that we could be charged under the Critical Infrastructure Defense Act. You say it's interesting how they refer to it when peaceful protesters are holding up the convoy, but not when the convoy is holding up the border for days. I think most people realize that this is Jason Kenney's anti-protest act. This is what he brought in to send a message, I think, that he's pretty serious, uh, that pipeline construction will not be interrupted, that railways will not be blockaded, that highways will not be stopped. But of course, the first significant action demonstration wise since this has been made law has been this convoy. The Premier hasn't threatened to invoke it at all. When the police threatened to invoke that Defense Act with you, what was the first thing that went through your mind? I was sort of shocked when I first heard it. Um, you know, as, as you said, like this was a bill that was created uh, by very, very political motivation in order to crack down on Indigenous land defenders. And so um, the second they said it, I saw it. Uh, clarification. And I said, are you telling me that you would put us under arrest under the Critical Infrastructure Defense Act? And they said, you know, you would likely be charged with mischief, but you could be found um, to be in violation of that act. And so just the the level of, of fear mongering in many ways, when we've seen video after video of the police, you know, very patiently um, interacting with those who are holding up an international border. And so I'm not saying that the answer is let's let's equally apply this this bill, um, you know, across the province. Instead, it's a, a, an incredibly draconian piece of legislation and it deserves to be abolished. Um, but but like you said, just seeing that that contrast of when they're willing to to, you know, refer to it is is really stark. 
Emma, anybody that knows you knows that you know you're you're a person of conviction, certainly, and this isn't your first uh, action or demonstration. How do you assess whether or not something was successful? Now that you've had a couple of days to to process it, and you look back on that action, how would you assess it? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, um, I would assess it based on what the public response was, and so. You know, we went out there to prove that everyday Edmontonians are capable of taking action, are capable of standing up um, against the far right. We saw so many people driving, you know, westbound down River Valley Road, hanging out their windows, applauding us, um, cheering us on and saying, you know, I support you and I, I want to join you in the streets. And so the, the response kind of following that on social media has been thousands of people from across the country, but also around the world who have said, you know, right on. Um, how, how can we get involved? And I think, you know, one of the biggest things that I would want to sort of convey to people is this isn't about heroics. This isn't about people, you know, standing up and being heroes. This is us doing what is frankly, I think the bare minimum for many of us who have the privilege to do so, to, to stand up and to protect our community and do what's necessary in this moment. And we need thousands of people to join us. And, you know, I was watching just yesterday, um, where I was born and raised in, in Ottawa, actually, a blockade that started with 30 people and very quickly grew to be thousands and thousands of people. And in the span of eight hours, that blockade was able to achieve more than the police has done in Ottawa in the course of weeks, right? They took racist flags and decals away from trucks. They confiscated uh, jerry cans of gasoline to ensure that they couldn't continue polluting the air downtown. And they, they, you know, prevented that occupation from expanding in the downtown core. And so we're seeing firsthand what is possible when everyday people stand up um, to protect our communities. And so I guess my message to everyone is, you know, join us out in the streets in the days and weeks to come. There will be many, many opportunities to stand up and to say, you know, hate isn't welcome here and we will protect our community. Thanks, Emma. I appreciate your availability today. Yeah, thanks so much, Ryan. You bet. That's organizer Emma Jackson. Uh, she references Ottawa, her hometown. Uh, how about Graham Richardson? If, if you know, you know, the six o'clock news in Ottawa, Graham Richardson is a, a bit of an institution in that city. He tweeted over the weekend uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact, yesterday morning, Sunday morning, says, I've never seen the mild mannered rule following people of Ottawa this angry ever he says, and most of it is directed at the Ottawa police. This is going to be a, a story to follow. Well, it already is a story to follow the assessment of police action or inaction or the inequity of police action throughout this entire brouhaha through, throughout these past few weeks. And it's remarkable to see you don't have to be uh, politically aligned with demonstrators or counter demonstrators, I think, to have a reasonable expectation that you know the law should be applied evenly across the board. Now, trust me, it's not lost on me. And I've been paying close attention over the weekend to, to tweets, for example, and posts and messages in particular from uh, indigenous Canadians that are saying, oh, laws and rules, police action being applied uh, inequally across the board. Uh, some of you are, are recognizing this for the very first time. Isn't that cute? Isn't that cute? They're writing. And that's not lost on me either. And that's something certainly that I would expect a lot of real talkers might have something to say about. I tweeted about it. I used a little salty language over the weekend and quote tweeting Emma. And I just basically said, if you're going to let a truck convoy fuck people over 
for days upon days. You kind of lot of you got to let everybody else fuck everybody over. That's kind of how it goes. You can't jump in. And after half an hour of one road being blocked in one city, start threatening to invoke the critical infrastructure defense act. If the argument is with Alberta legislation like that, that River Valley Road in Edmonton on a weekend morning is critical infrastructure, but the Coots border that sees about $50 million uh, of economic activity interrupted every day it's blocked is not critical infrastructure. I'd love to watch you squirm your way through that one. You know, Alberta's premier is on his heels this morning. Jason Kenney's got his work cut out for him. The Coots border is still blocked. The Ambassador Bridge between Detroit and Windsor is moving again. Ottawa's mayor has taken steps, as have regular residents, average ordinary folks in, in Ottawa, as Emma just pointed out, taking action, forcing decals off cars, confiscating things. I don't know about you. I'm watching with, with trepidation. You know, it just takes one or two people to say, that. you know, in either direction, all of a sudden you got fists flying. All of a sudden, the next thing, you know, so you hope at some point the police might do something in that circumstance. But but the Coots border is still blocked and there's still problems in Alberta. And CBC News reporting uh, the word freedom, quote, freedom is starting to become more common among far right groups, uh, far right groups. So say the experts and they have this expose on who's really behind the so-called freedom movement and the so-called freedom convoy. And Alberta's premier figures this morning. It's not him, by the way. It's his comms staff. My money would be on Brock Harrison. It's his comms. This isn't Jason Kenny waking up and tweeting this. It's, it's his, his team. They're just snickering behind the scenes, trying to find ways to distract and deflect. With articles like this, it says from the premier's account, the CBC is becoming a parody of itself and we have to pay for it with our tax dollars. When you don't have a plan nor a leg to stand on, start attacking federal funding of the CBC. It'll get at least a few people to forget that you've been unable to get that border flowing freely again. Hey, Jason Kenny was on a bit of a roll. Now we've, we've got guests locked and loaded here, and I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent here, but the premier over the weekend tweeting as well. I, I mean, the guy is just, it's, it's so obvious to me. And, and sometimes I think it's just important to spell this stuff out. And so if you don't recognize it, you, maybe you sort of have a second and you go, Oh yeah. Right. So Kenny on February 12th. So this is on Saturday says two weeks ago, I called on convoy organizers to disassociate themselves from symbols of hatred displayed by a small number of people. They did so. He's talking about things like swastikas and Confederate flags. He says today, pro-lockdown counter-protesters. This, you know, this is the premier. This is the elected leader of a province. You know, we've talked before about the supercharged language when it comes to women's health rights and access to women's health services and you, you can you know you would say for example uh, you know i'm i'm pro-life and someone will say no you're anti-choice you say well no i'm pro-choice and someone will say no you're pro-abortion it's all how you frame it right the pro-lockdown counter-protesters says alberta's premier this is a guy that's been steering people through a pandemic pro-lockdown you think is that a, just the tiniest little bit disingenuous but that's not even the rub i'm not even getting into it yet the pro-lockdown counter-protesters displayed communist flags and signs they worked hard they scanned the crowd and they found a flag from the soviet union the hammer and the sickle he says but the media has been predictably silent about it 
goes on to say the continued romanticization of communism by some on the Canadian left is vile and is consistently ignored by mainstream media. He goes on to quote Harvard University's press. The Black Book of Communism says, you know, around 100 million people have been killed by communist regimes. Yeah. I think that if mainstream Canadians thought that communism was a good idea, the Communist Party of Canada would probably get a few more votes during the election or we'd see more of a mobilization. Now, did some idiot show up with a hammer and sickle flag and, you know, probably, I think, take a bit of credibility away from this demonstration? Sure, absolutely. Could you find Canadians including some political commentators or people with a platform like this one to denounce communism and to point out that communist regimes throughout history have have equaled hundreds of thousands or millions of deaths in some countries through some regimes? Absolutely. Is that the most important point right now? Would you suggest that this is a, a battle of fascists versus communists? Does that make sense to you? Do you think that when people saw swastikas flying and flying and Confederate flags flying, that this ultimately is the type of conversation they were hoping to have? Or do you think maybe that Alberta's premier is throwing everything he can at the wall to try to discredit the media, the left, and those who would stand in the face of freedom, thereby likely be passively endorsing communism right that's what jason kenny's spin is on this one i would laugh if it wasn't so ridiculous more on that in a second and of course this continues to write itself these are stories we keep an eye on you know there's one that's going to develop this afternoon as students high school students are getting set to walk out of class They're looking to send a message to teachers, and more importantly, I think they're looking to send a message to their provincial government. These are young people that are sticking their necks out a little bit. I want to find out what prompted them, what got them to this point. Sam Clark is the founder of Students Against Kenny. He's a grade 12 student. Toby Malte is joining us, assisting in the organization, as is Lauren Bain. Toby and Lauren, both in grade 11. I'm grateful that the three of you have agreed to join us. Sam, this, my understanding is that you're the one that kind of got the ball rolling on this. How did this all yeah. come about? You're getting set for what? Hundreds of students are getting set at yeah, 245 like to it. walk out today. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, last week uh, when they announced it, like, I mean, I was just in shock. Like, I, I had no idea. Like, I, this wasn't something that I was expecting, um, you know, like, especially looking I think it was 2019 at the uh, rail protest that prompted Bill 1. Um, and so impulsively, I was just like, I'm done with this and started uh, the Instagram and Twitter account and it kind of blew up and now we're here. So when you're talking about the announcement, uh, Sam, you're talking about the province lifting uh, some of these COVID restrictions. Is that right? In particular ones yeah. that, that that were impacting you going to school? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as soon as like, like, Uh, taking masks off of students is going to be dangerous. And um, a lot of us feel extremely unsafe with uh, the lifting restrictions. So did the three of you just find each other through this, Toby? Did did you know each other ahead of time or are you all new friends, I guess? Yeah, uh, Lauren and I have been friends since grade four, and I think we met Sam in grade seven. So we've been friends for quite a long time and we've, um, you know, hung out 
like almost every weekend for sometimes um okay the summer so you guys have yeah. known each other for for several years now when when, yeah. when did sam get in your ear and say are you paying attention to what's going on we got to do something about it or or did you find each other through sort of a shared spirit of well you you, you feel prompted to take some action what was it that brought you together on this um i think we've always like well our friend group we mainly like we talk about politics all the time um which is really great uh you know, because we can have that type of discussion. Um, and well, Sam, I think Sam created the account and I was like, oh, I want to help with this. So I started messaging a bunch of people on Twitter, um, trying to get people, more people involved. Um, and Lauren also like a huge help. Like we all just kind of came together and created this type of organization. Lauren, what, are you? how are you feeling this morning? Like, is your heart in your throat a little bit hours before this action? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we've all been texting all morning about how nervous we are for this, but so excited too. It's it's the same, it's that mix of nerves and, and excitement for this day. Can I ask what your teachers or, or principals or school administrators have been saying, if at all, about this? I mean, can can I take you back to 1993 when uh, myself and several thousand Calgary High School students did this exact same thing, walking down Elbow Drive, down to the McDougal Center, downtown Calgary to take action? I remember our social studies teacher at the time said, you walk out of this class, you're going to get suspended. Of course, nobody did. Yeah, we've had lots of support from quite a few teachers um, and and we've we've it, like informed our administrators that it's going to happen at our school. So um, they've all been as supportive as as they can be. So that's been really great. We have um, a social social study teacher who's supporting us all the way. So that's been so wonderful. Sam, what do you hope to accomplish today? Take us through what the walkout's going to look like, where you're going to go who you'd like to hear you or see you and ultimately what you hope to accomplish. Yeah, well, at 2.45, we're, we're hoping that as, as many students as possible across Alberta walk out. Um, and then uh, Edmonton area students are going to show up at the ledge. And I, I believe we, uh, Calgary students are going to the McDougal Center. Um, and we're, I mean, ultimately, we're hoping that um, the decision to drop restrictions is just completely changed because um, it's it's going to be dangerous, right? Um, we're hoping that the, the premier, the health minister, and the education minister listen to us like they said they have been um, and, like, really pay attention to how we actually feel as opposed to how they're telling everyone we feel. Uh, Toby, what do you notice with, with regards to your classmates and, and, and your schoolmates? I, you know, I notice anecdotally when I talk to some parents, more of elementary school kids or junior high school aged kids, some of them are saying, I don't know how I feel. I mean, we just got our masks in the mail. I don't know about lifting the mask order and others, to be honest with you, are saying I'm so relieved. My child's so happy they don't have to wear a mask anymore. Is it consensus that you're noticing among classmates in high school or is it mixed? It, I feel like at our school, especially, it's a little bit mixed because we go to um, quite a bit of a redneck school. Um, but I think overall in our classrooms, like a lot of our like friend groups and like peers, they all want masks. They all feel so much safer with masks and they want to protect um, each other and, you know, have that type of um, safety. OK, so, uh, you know, would you say do you notice people around you? I mean, obviously, you can wear a mask if you like. Uh, there's no order that you have to take masks off. Lauren, today is when the change comes into effect for schools across the province. How many masks do you think you're going to see students, classmates, even teachers wearing in school today? Well, um, teachers still do have to wear masks, but I can imagine it's probably going to be about at our school, 30 to 40 percent wearing masks. We had the first week at school where masks weren't mandatory, and I think that was about 
what I would say the percentage of students wearing masks were. So yeah, we, so probably about there, which it's just dangerous is what we feel like. Um, like you said, like students are allowed to wear masks, right? And that's that's true, but it's it's not safe for teachers to be exposed to so many people who are still unable to get vaccinated as young kids and all that. So we're, we're hoping to see more than 30 to 40% of students wearing masks, but I can't imagine there will be. Well, let me ask you what, it, I mean, it's your stories and some people are, are going, yeah, you know, I'm out with my kids and we're going to wear masks when we go out and other people aren't going to wear masks and that's fine. And then there's the meddlers, right? The people that approach complete strangers and say, you know, you don't have to wear a mask or pressuring people. They want them to take off the mask. And we see these examples. I hope that they're less frequent than they appear to be. But it's a divisive type of a scenario. Sam, what's it like in the halls of the high school? I mean, do people respect each other's rights, generally speaking here? Or is this the type of thing where you feel like people are picking teams? You're either cool with moving ahead mask free or you're kind of hesitant and that puts you on that team and then you're against one another. What's the vibe like? Yeah, well, this kind of um, like divide between students is common. Um, Like uh, me, Toby and Lauren have been uh, uh, we we helped form a a committee at our school to kind of um, combat because there's a lot of like racism and bullying present um not just our school but all across alberta so this kind of like picking teams is super common and it's definitely it's going to be no different this time we're hoping though that like we're seeing a lot of people like really angry about this so i think a lot of people are going to stand up and fight back where normally they would have just taken it hmm so, so, Toby, this isn't the first time the three of you and other students have come together to send a message or to, or to try to impact your community. Do you look at this? I mean, sometimes it's hard for us to look past our own nose or it's hard for us to look past our own reality, the scenario as it develops live. But, but are you looking at this as maybe the early stages of more significant activism in years to come is there something that burns within you that prompts you to speak out or act out when there's something that you see as unacceptable yeah i'd say so i'd say like i've always been sort of um outgoing with um this like type of social activism you know i think it mainly started not started but you know it kind of started burning in like grade eight when the ucp uh, or jason kenny was saying like if you go to a gsa you have like your parents have to be informed and that was just like outright wrong um but yeah so i think like hopefully in the future like i feel at least i'm um confident that this can keep burning and like we've gained such a platform now that we can do stuff like this in the future yeah i uh i I, we have a well we have at least one teacher i think we have a ton of teachers probably watching us live right now jillian's one of them and jillian says she references that the gsa walkout she says last time the kids walked out it was over the gsa gay straight alliance says i pretended to be mad at them for it um, you know, forcing them to defend their cause. And they were a bit scared, but they stood their ground. And she says it was awesome. Jillian goes on to say it's great that the kids are standing up. Teachers and, and administrators, their hands are tied. She says, I wish we could do more. And so that's kind of an interesting perspective that what you see may not be entirely what you get here. You may have some people privately or quietly cheering you on. Sam, do you get the sense that you have the ear? Of the general population, I mean, people look at this and, you know, they may say, well, very few of these students are of voting age and others will look at this and say, this is the future voting army. How are you processing or how should people process what they see from you and your fellow students across the province today? 
Well, I think I think people need to understand that the political future of this province is with us. Um, like whether that's with us all leaving, like we've seen, there's a huge brain drain going on. Everybody that's going to university here is leaving. Like I myself, I'm planning on moving to Ontario after university. So I think I really think people need to understand that if we're not uh, being listened to and if we're not happy, then it's not going to look good for the future of the province. Well, to the three of you and to, to those that will join you in, in walking out today, I, I wish you well. And I think that it's so important that your fellow students, whether or not they join you, that they see what you're doing. Uh, this is action. You're doing this because you give a damn. You're doing it because you care. And that is such an important quality. Um, I wish you uh, safety through the demonstration today and success, uh, however it's measured. We'll be following along by way of your Instagram and Twitter accounts. Uh, people can find those uh, from our tweet. Sarah Hoyle sends them out promoting our guests each and every morning, our official account at Real Talk RJ. That's Toby Malte, Lauren Bain, and Sam Clark joining us here on Real Talk. Love that. Movers and shakers of today and tomorrow. I'm grateful that they agreed to join us. And I'm thankful that we've got such an engaged audience joining us on the live chat today, too. Tracy says, I remember that student walkout. It took my grade eight student to the Alberta legislature, and I think that it made a huge difference. I'd be curious to hear from those of you that are looking back here. And I graduated high school in 95. It's a long time ago. But I, I did some reading and I looked back and I wanted to remember the exact date of our big walkout. And I was I don't know if I would say petrified that's a little dramatic i don't think i was petrified but i do remember our teachers saying to us you better not walk out you better not walk out of class you get suspended if you walk out you better not do it our resolve was there but of course my heart was pounding what are my parents gonna say if i get suspended from school for walking out what are they gonna say and I'll never forget, I'm at Henry Wisewood High School in Calgary, and we're walking down Elbow Drive, and we're making our way, I don't know what it was, to downtown, probably at least an hour walk, maybe an hour and a half. And there were a few hundred, at least several hundred from Henry Wisewood High School, and that was kind of a thing. And then all of a sudden, if you know Calgary, you know where you get to McLeod Trail, and then you really start getting into the downtown core, and, and all of a sudden, you would see these armies of students meet up from E.P. Scarlet and Lord Beaverbrook, and Central Memorial, and St. Francis, and all St. Mary's, and all the high school, and all of a sudden, everyone started gathering, and you look around you, and there are thousands that are demanding that the Ralph Klein PC government at that time roll back cuts to education. I did a little bit of research. I looked back. It feels like nothing right now. $369 million was being cut out of the provincial education budget over those three years. I'm looking at reporting from the Calgary Herald. Lisa Dempster is the journalist that was covering it uh, back in October. It was the 27th of October, 1993. That was the day the fire was lit within me. I bet you have a story, too. What was your very first moment where you took action, so to speak, where you put your money where your mouth is, where you took a risk? KT is watching, says these kids give me hope for the future. Kudos to them for their advocacy. I love that. 
Michelle says, I grew up in a small town, so I didn't have much of an outlet. It would have been a long walk to the legislature. I think of the young kids right now that that might be attending smaller high schools in towns or villages or hamlets. It may not even depend on the size of the school. It may be the fact that perhaps the culture at your school isn't exactly the same as what we may have seen from our three difference makers earlier today. Maybe you'd say, well, in my school, you're not really going to put your neck out against this government because... As far as I look around, half the people aren't here right now because they're all in Ottawa participating in the convoy. People are coming at this from different angles, aren't they? We better thank a few of our sponsors on this Valentine's Day morning. We're going to run out here, Sam. We got a few bills to pay, and, and I'm just watching through the plexiglass here, and we have this Dairy Queen red velvet cake. Hang on a second. Let me go pick this thing up because... tragic if this thing were to melt without anybody being able to sink a fork let alone their teeth into it but check this out can i do this without it dumping for those of you that are watching us on youtube look at this this is our studio lights are hitting this kind of harshly you can't really see the the detail can you see the xoxo there sam that's that classic dairy queen fabulous ice cream cake adornment there with the heart-shaped sprinkles the red velvet cake i was talking to michael he's at the baseline road dairy queen in sherwood park he partners up with mark and michelle the dairy queens of northwest edmonton i said are you gonna have he says he says let everybody know about the red velvet cake today because that's their wheelhouse for valentine's day i said are you gonna have enough pal we start putting this out on real talk you gonna have enough of these things he goes oh we'll be prepared so if you don't have yet a plan for your sweetie Get as sweet as it gets at the Dairy Queens of Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road with the classic DQ red velvet ice cream cake. I highly recommend it. And I saw the price on the lid here. I believe it's just $16.99. What? $16.99 to make dreams come true on Valentine's Day? The Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. I know that our friends at Friesen Brothers are also ready for you today. I am so lucky. My Valentine, I got two Valentines today. One of them's six years old. He's the light of my life, Wyatt Rudy. The other's my beautiful bride, Carrie. And this morning, she was up early. She did this whipped watermelon oat milk breakfast smoothie. A pink breakfast smoothie, all from Friesen Brothers. They've got that pink pineapple, too. You remember those pink pineapples? We got into that, and then she unrolled the famous, she knows the way to our heart, the Friesen Brothers sourdough cinnamon buns. She unrolled them and then turned them into heart shapes. Are you kidding me? But if you're thinking more maybe steak and prawns tonight, or you want to do something fresh for your Valentine, you'll find it all. Look at this, the Alberta beef ribeye steak and lobster tail combo. From the Friesen Brothers Real Butchers, 16 locations across the province, Alberta grown and Alberta owned. And I wanted to let you know as well, our friends at Park Power have something you're going to want to keep an eye on. I know that utilities, people are getting their bills from this cold snap and you're seeing it all over social media. People are like, what the hell is going on with my gas and electricity bills? And Park Power is in a delicate position right now because we've been telling you for a long time you can lock in with their fixed rates at parkpower.ca and for those of you that did well the sticker shock isn't quite as bad you can go to parkpower.ca right now compare rates on electricity natural gas and internet and when you're ready to bring your business over to them they'll do all the work for you they'll break up with your current utilities provider so you don't have to worry about it you can find park power online at parkpower.ca they're powering our hashtag real talk rj sarah hoyle's always keeping an eye on our hashtag this morning, the editorial producer of this show. A very Is it okay? I think it's okay to wish colleagues and coworkers a very happy Valentine's Day. Hoyles, a very happy Valentine's Day to you, my friend. 
right back at you. Yeah, you feeling the love today or is it just like angsty? I'm, I kind of have like a mix. I'm looking at people breaking up truck convoys and also all those lovers out there. And I'm, I'm finding that balance today. Yeah, I'm all angst. <laughs> okay. Well, that's we need to get a Dairy Queen cake sent your way, and then you can turn your turn your Monday around. What are you most angsty about this morning? I I'm just I was driving on uh, Highway Two last night uh, on the way back from Sundry, Alberta. Um, mm. uh, just taking a little bit of a cross country trip and cross country cross country skiing trip and. The number, the flags that I saw, and there's just, there's a lot of anger. It's just, that's, I think that's ultimately what is bothering me is just the amount of seething anger and hatred um, and, and weaponizing the Canadian flag. I was, I was telling somebody yesterday, I was talking to my next door neighbor, and I said, I went to Canadian Tire to pick something up yesterday, and I saw a car in the parking lot with a Canadian flag on it. And I'm not trying to be dramatic. I literally was like, is this person a total asshole or is this person cheering on team Canada at the Olympics? I have no idea. It's, it's, it's a totally reasonable, normal thing to fly a Canadian flag on your car at any point. Typically when you would see somebody flying a Canadian flag, I mean, there, there have been times where it's been used to push buttons, right? Unfortunately, um, and I want to be careful how I frame this or say this, obviously it was a tragic and very heavy time for Canadians through the months of May and into June, as we were talking about the history of residential schools and people are wrestling and grappling with that. And then talking about what's appropriate with regards to observing Canada day. You remember that the flag at that point was a tough one. Some people were taking down their flags. Other people were saying, I'm proud of my country warts and all. And there, there were all those sort of different things that people wrestled with. And this feels like one of those times again, where you're looking at the Canadian flag in some circumstances and it invokes anger or disappointment or pain and concurrently running parallel at the same time, we're celebrating our athletes and their Olympic achievements. And it's a really weird time. I feel like that, you know, the 215 and Canada Day and what's happening now, I, to me, it feels like a straight line. Yeah. There's a straight line between um, people that are like, uh, heck yeah, Canada Day amidst 215 children uh, graves recovered and and now people saying freedom and using the Canadian flag and weaponizing it. I just to me, it's a it's a complete there's a straight line. Do you know what I'm talking about, Sam? I saw you kind of nod your head there when I was talking about the Canadian tire parking lot. And to, to me, it was it, it was such a strange sort of these parallel feelings. Does, is the flag invoking something in you these days? Yeah, I. I'm, I think I'm very close to where you are. It's like, I love the Olympics, especially the Winter Olympics. I'm like, it's been on 24 7 at my house when I'm not, you know, working on real You missed basically. the Super Bowl halftime show because you were watching I did. the Olympics. I was, in the, I was in my garage doing some building and I had the <laughs> Olympics on in the background. And all of a sudden I get an alert on my phone being like, oh, the Super, time half, Super Bowl halftime show has just yeah, happened. Oh, who yeah. knows? But like, you're right in that, like, I am absolutely one of those people, like, especially in moments like the Olympics or like Canada Day. I mean, like I said, I've got a family barbecue every year in Canada Day. I love getting all decked out in red and white. And it's like, it's sort of the one time of year we do that in Canada because it's not we're not a chest thumping flag waving nation like a lot of others are yeah nuts. just generally speaking yeah. so it's been complicated and I know exactly how you feel because like a truck with a flag flying out the back doesn't mean anything but support the protest to me now yeah and it's it's kind of sad to see it go that way 
it's really pissing me off. I know that this is people say it's just imagery, but imagery is never just imagery. It's pissing me off to see the flag flying upside down. That to me it pisses me yeah. off. But but then I also know that ah, different people feel differently about that. There's the people that'll take off their hockey sweater and throw it on the floor. And there's people that will never let their hockey sweater throw. I grew up in evangelical circles. There are people that will put their Bible on the floor. There are people whose Bibles will never touch the floor. People feel differently about these types of things. Sarah, stories are developing. Uh, obviously, people know that we do the show live. Uh, so we're coming at you right now. It's just after 11 o'clock Eastern. It's just after nine o'clock Mountain. But people will catch this show through the day, through the week. As we speak, uh, we're just, uh, I suppose, about half an hour removed from the prime minister invoking the Emergencies Act, or at least he said he's going to do that, which will give the government additional powers should they choose to use them. He's saying he's not yet sending in the military to any blockade at this point, unless that's changed in the last 20 minutes. But can you bring us up to speed on Ambassador Bridge, Coots and other blockades? Well, as far as the Emergency Act, um, it's never been invoked before. And the never ever it says that uh, his caucus, he will invoke the never before used emergency act. Okay, and that's to give the federal government extra powers to handle the protests um, that are happening across the country. This is according to sources. It's not been officially announced yet. So we're waiting to see. I mean, yeah, we'll see. Um, As mentioned, I mean, these protests are manageable as has been shown at the ambassador bridge. Mm. You send in folks, you send in, um, you know, the police and get the traffic flowing again. There just doesn't seem to be a will or a desire uh, for this type of um, enforcement. And it's not that I'm saying that like the police need, need to be used in these circumstances. It's as you mentioned earlier in the show, the idea that there's uh it's incongruent. There's use of the police is not used equally across yeah. the board um, when it comes to these actions. Um, I didn't mean to step on your toes there. We had a bit of a hiccup in the wi- in the Wi-Fi <laughs> signal. That's all. Uh, can can you call up that that city news reporter, Sam? Uh, she had those photos out of Edmonton. And for those that are listening on the podcast, I'll describe it. But you know the one in particular, the the, the photo of the cops that were standing there across the bike path. Uh, this was, I, I think, probably the most power. I'm, I'm talking about, about uh, this is Sarah Chu, who is doing great reporting for City News uh, out of Edmonton. This this imagery, you got f- uh, three, four, five, six, seven cops there, I think. Uh, you know, and, and by the way, everything looks scarier, more intimidating with face masks on, right? Let's acknowledge that. And, and, and some people are going to say, well, these cops, are just showing up to do their job you know i tweeted about this this weekend i heard from um the daughter of a of a retired police officer and she said police jobs tough she said you know they don't have a lot of resources they're outnumbered what are they i said hey i know policing ain't easy and this isn't the type of show where we just blindly back the blue so to speak and it's also not the type of show where we just automatically crack on cops it's real talk it's what we call the show i think that the average person probably has concerns around policing and the other and, and that and that same average person may have also benefited from solid policing and recognizes value in law enforcement and communities. And, and we're all over and wide open to these types of conversations and challenging ones at that. Absolutely. But like Sarah's just said, how do you justify having these cops standing arm to arm, shoulder to shoulder, elbow to elbow, threatening to arrest and charge and fine? You know, they're talking about these counter demonstrators, these pedestrians, these cyclists. They quite frankly have had enough. Canada has had enough. You're going to say, well, not my Canada. 
we haven't had enough. We're going to occupy Ottawa for three more weeks. Okay, well, you and I are on different pages. But the average Canadian has seen, heard, and had enough. And so people are starting to stand up and mobilize. I mean, you look at a lot of these Ottawa, the so-called counter-demonstrators that Emma mentioned in our interview with her earlier. And if you watch The National, like I do, Ian Hanna-Mansing, what a beauty that guy is. He's showing these images over the weekend of counter-demonstrators essentially inviting, demanding that these convoy drivers remove some of these hateful decals or the convoy-related decals off their trucks, surrender these jerry cans and they'll let them go on their way doing the job you might expect the police to do and so they're interviewing these so-called counter demonstrators and saying why are you doing this and one lady said i'll tell you why because for day after day after day after day i haven't been able to sleep she's like i'm you know i have the, the sound of these horns just reverberating between my ears and i just so i'm out here because it's time for this to end like at what point does this end we're now entering week three of the Ottawa occupation? At what point does somebody do something? I'm still feeling like this is just some sort of bizarro world where we're getting reports like organizers of the blockade at the Coots border have announced they will open traffic to flow one way until they receive. And it's kind of like, sorry, who is making the who's calling the shots here? Who's making the decisions? What's the role of the RCMP here at Coots? Exactly. To keep counter demonstrators and convoy supporters from brawling? Is that basically their role? To communicate on behalf of the convoy or the blockade to regular Canadians? It's like RCMP comms letting everybody know, hey, demonstrators have let us know that the border will free flow again today. It's sort of like, sorry, what? I keep saying this. It sounds crass and crude, and I acknowledge it. But just imagine... Just imagine that this was a large group of Muslim Albertans or Muslim Canadians that were blocking this border, demanding that the Canadian government take a stronger stand on Palestine. Just imagine how long you think that border blockade would last. Sounds crass for me to say this, but imagine that it was, as Emma phrased, indigenous land defenders upset about pipeline construction through Jason Kenney's backyard here in Alberta. How long do you think that their border blockade would last? Three weeks, you figure? Think if it was a Black Lives Matter demonstration, a protest with a bunch of, what would Jason Kenney call them, the left? Per his email about their, his tweet about the CBC and defunding the CBC this morning, the left? If it was the left blocking a major border, the most significant border between Alberta and and the United States, our biggest trading partner by a mile, how long do you think that would last? You think that the RCMP would just be letting us know Black Lives Matter organizers have let us know they're going to reopen the border for the next hour. So if you got to get through, make it now because we never know when the border might close again. Not a chance. It's unbelievable. And I'm not saying anything profound here. I know that the majority of people across this country are just like me going, what the hell is going on right now? In just a second, we're going to get to talk about love. It's Valentine's Day. I just need a second to chill out. 
Although it's kind of different. We're talking about intimacy famines, which is kind of a different angle. I love this. This is what's great about hosting a show that's produced by Sarah Hoyles is that there's always going to be an interesting, unique twist on our coverage that you're not going to get anywhere else. And that includes our Valentine's Day coverage. That's coming up in just a second. Before we get there, I want to tell you about something that's going on at Athabasca University. This is super cool. So you know Power Ed? We've been telling you about Power Ed at Athabasca U. Well, they've got this AI ethics certification. That's the ethics around artificial intelligence. AI ethics is an emerging area that's focused on informing a better, more ethical approach to the design and use of AI tech. It's a response to many of the harms that we're seeing arise as a result of AI gone wrong. This is the field of the future. And you can get certified today, learn more, better you prepare yourself for what could be a competitive and rewarding job market by checking out PowerEd's AI ethics certification today online at AthabascaU.ca. I also wanted to let you know that the team at Sherwood Dodge, I was in touch with them over the weekend just to let them know how much I'm enjoying my 1500 Longhorn. That's the Ram crew cab that is just knocking my socks off every day I get behind the wheel. I was talking to my pal Cameron, and he's just picked up his Ram TRX. He had to one-up me. He says, you know, my TRX trim, he says, I've got the luxury that you have in the Longhorn, but he's got 700 horses under the hood, Sam. It's the Hellcat motor in the 1500 Ram TRX, and they've got him at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. When 600 horses is not enough, I recommend the Ram 1500 TRX at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. You can find them, of course, online under the Sponsors tab on our website. Browse their inventory virtually, or you can go ahead and see them in person. You make sure you let them know that Real Talk sent you. Well, it is Valentine's Day. Uh, If that is news to you, I'm grateful. I I hope that you're hearing this with enough time to rebound. If you got to go pick something up and, you know, maybe look like you put a little bit of planning into it, perhaps that's a book, a book that you and your lover could read through together, bettering your relationship with the expertise of Dr. Michelle Drouin, a behavioral scientist, an expert on tech relationships, couples, and sexuality. Dr. Duran is a professor of psychology at Purdue University, Fort Wayne, and is a senior research scientist at the Parkview Miro Center for Research and Innovation. Her new book just out at the end of January, Out of Touch, How to Survive an Intimacy Famine. What a pleasure to welcome Dr. Michelle Durant to the show. Uh, happy Valentine's Day to you. Congratulations on the book and welcome to Real Talk. Happy Valentine's Day to you, and thank you for having me. Yeah, so many people celebrate Valentine's Day in different ways, right? I mean, we've got a Dairy Queen ice cream cake here. We're about to dig into that. A lot of people, it'll be a wonderful time with the kids. Some folks, new lovers, new relationship. Others have been together for 50 years. Some will celebrate with their friends. Galentine's Day, and some people absolutely hate February 14th. Where do you land? I'm probably right in the middle. Mm. I don't really celebrate either, but I have Canadian relatives that always send a nice big box. So uh, we do more celebration than I would have planned because uh, my mother-in-law is very good about giving us presents and making us feel loved. Do you what see, about you? How, how do you celebrate? Yeah, well, I appreciate you flipping the question. Um, we're, we're, we're chilling out on it by design. 
a little bit this year. And so we're, we're going to have a nice dinner at home uh, together as a family, but we're really incorporating our, our six-year-old son and we're expecting too. So there's kind of this fun family vibe around Valentine's Day. And at six years old, grade one, he's still really big into everything, the cinnamon hearts and, and the pink themed breakfast and everything. So it's more of a family affair for us today. I heard what your wife, the strawberry drink or the oh pink color drink she made this morning. Oh my gosh. Morning and the fashioning of the rolls into hearts. I thought, oh, she has me beat on every level. Yeah, well, I was saying she has me beat on every level as well. And so I, I hope she's not watching this. I hope she doesn't hear this. I'm actually this afternoon realizing I need to ramp up. I had a plan, but I'm going to need to ramp it up a little bit. So I've got a few hours to do it. It's doable. Um, when did you start? When did you start this this whole idea about an intimacy famine? Uh, when did that wind up on your radar? Obviously, you're a researcher and a relationship expert. Has this been a long held uh, premise, or is this something new? Well, I've been studying sexuality relationships for about a decade, and my main research is how technology is affecting us as humans, both in our romantic relationships, but also just how we're developing and how we're changing as a human species. So the intimacy famine really came on my radar a couple of years ago. I got contacted by one of the major news sources here in the United States to comment on a trend of millennials having less sex than their parents did at their age. And I thought the trend was really interesting. And I did a little bit of digging about the frequency of sex, what might be changing for millennials. And the journalist asked me to weigh in on what was changing. And I thought, well, one of the big things that's changed is technology. So with this technology, they have so many more choices, which means they don't really have to make commitments. And if they don't make commitments, people who are not in marriages, they have less sex. People who are not in committed relationships, they have less sex, despite your idea about a Tinder culture where people are having a rampant amount of sex. That's just not true. At every age that people look at and through every cohort that we've examined, people who are married have more sex than people who are unmarried. Hmm. Why do you think that is? Is is it just availability? I, I, yeah, I think that's it. I mean, availability. I mean, you also have, there are a lot of people who are single by choice, who are not engaging in sex by choice. So, you know, all of those people are in groups of unmarried people. So it could be that people who are married wanted to get into those relationships in the first place where they would be having more sexual activity. So there is a little bit of sampling bias there, but I do think availability has something to do with it. You know, you can have a partner there who is very likely to consent as compared to when you're single, where that takes a little bit more effort. Is there uh, I mean, are there sort of assumptions that you can draw or observations you can make about somebody who really prioritizes sex in their life versus somebody that does not prioritize sex? I mean, everybody's wired differently. Everybody's driven by different things. Quite frankly, people have sex for different reasons, right? Absolutely. People have sex for entirely different reasons. Some people do it because they really have a high sex drive. Some people do it because they want to satisfy their partner. Some people do it because they are pressured into it. I mean, there are a host of reasons why people might be engaging in sex. And I think there are some relatively, you know, consistent things that discriminate between people who have sex a lot. One of them is sex drive. You know, people who have high sex drives tend to have sex more uh, in terms of gender. Men think about sex more. They have more intense fantasies. Uh, they tend to uh, want initiate they'll ask for sex more often than do women. Um, so there are some gender differences as well. I think too, it's your model that you grew up with. I mean, a lot of us had models where sex was taboo. Our parents maybe didn't talk to us about sex at all. I always ask my students, how many of you had a conversation with your parents about sex at some point in your life? And in a room that has, you know, 20 year olds in them, fewer than half of them 
raise their hands. And I always joke and say, can you imagine if you went home tonight and said to your parents, hey, my professor said the word sex today. Can you tell me what that is? (laughs) Because a lot of these parents just did not prepare their kids for any kind of sexual education that they got from either their friends or from their educational institutions, which is pretty minimal to none in some places. So your model, what you saw in your own parents, how much sexuality was uh, something that was taboo or something that was considered positive can also have a big effect on whether or not you have a healthy and active sex life. Well, I mean, you know, the, the, these huge media outlets have gone to you for your insight. I mean, people have read you in the New York Times. You've been on CNN and NPR and all this stuff talking about sexuality and sex. I wanted to circle back on the observation you made. Uh, you, you talked about the, the understanding that millennials are having less sex. Can we make general observations on how sex has been viewed by by young people or for that matter, by the general population? I mean, you, we're, we're sort of led to believe that the 60s or maybe the late 50s was kind of this great awakening, right? The sexual revolution, so to speak. Um, ha- have things calmed down or settled or trended up? Or are they just starting to trend down? What do we note through the decades on how humans have approached prioritizing sex, let alone communicating about it? Well, we do know that sociosexual orientation or our boundaries around sex have definitely expanded. People are much more comfortable with what we would have termed years ago, non-traditional relationships. So a traditional relationship would have been categorized as, you know, two people in a relationship. And now we have, you know, three people, four people, we have polyamory, we have people who are choosing to be single by choice, you know, this idea that you're just in a, not in a committed relationship at all. Um, There are just one night stands, there are hookups, there are friends with benefits relationships. And so we have all of these different relationship categories that, you know, in the 40s and 30s were not really traditional or normalized. And now those are becoming a lot more common. And what I see in my own research, because I research college students, so I'm getting kind of the fast track to the trends, is that fewer people are participating in my studies when I ask for people who've only been in a committed relationship. And many more people are saying monogamy is not something that I'm expecting from my relationship. So you have a wide range of people who are engaging in all different types of relationships. You talked about Tinder culture has has over the last I don't know, I guess, what was it? Mid 2000s with plenty of fish and all that kind of stuff. Um, I always joke to my wife that we, we just missed out on that whole digital opportunity and i'm probably lucky for me or i don't know if i would have landed or if she would have realized all the other options out there so lucky for me she never had a profile but then you've you know you've got like tinder and bumble and all these types of things um my understanding is that some of those have lost a bit of momentum that they're not as popular as they used to be maybe i'm way off on that but but how has this sort of tinder culture or so-called hookup culture or online dating or availability swiping right how has that changed what we're talking about if at all well, when did, when did you meet your wife? What year did you guys meet? Uh, oh, geez. Uh, about 2004. Okay. Yeah. So I feel the same as you. I met my husband in 1993 and I actually did a TED talk about it. I walked up to him in a dining hall and I think those types of things just don't happen anymore. You yeah. know, you don't walk up to someone in a public place and introduce yourself. So yeah, things have changed a lot in dating since you and I were dating. And I often think too, luckily he did not have the option of all the different people who are accessible to his phone. Luckily he had only me who was showing up at his apartment every day saying, hey, I had a class near here. You wanna go go 
as a lunch and and that worked you know i always say it's like it was like a very subtle subtle sort form of stalking um but he was very warm to it and reinforced me all the time so yeah i do think that online dating is re- very common so many people meet their partners via online dating now and more you know, lots of people have online relationships um committed relationships that come from online dating. So it's not only sexual relationships like we think of when we think of, you know, the Tinder culture, but people are using, you know, Bumble, Tinder, Hinge, all types of apps to meet new people. And I think that's a normal thing. And it's a good thing because, you know, the world is wide. So why is it that only the people who would travel in your immediate proximity with the the people that you're compatible with, that just doesn't make sense by opening it up and being able to contact people who you wouldn't normally see in those social spheres you have a greater likelihood of finding someone who could really be the one for you. So that's a really positive thing. And I do think that that's still on the rise. So you might've heard that it's, you know, Tinder culture is going down. I think the use of Tinder as a hookup app is maybe going down and people in, especially during the pandemic seem to be gearing more towards trying to find a committed relationship. Interesting. I, I'm going to be honest with you when I hear, um, you know, Dr. Duran is an expert in tech and relationships. Here's where my brain goes out of pure laziness is to bring you on and say, so you're going to recommend that we don't have a TV in the bedroom. And that's my understanding of how tech and relationships factor in. I suspect that your expertise goes a little deeper than that. What are a couple of things that we should consider? I mean, a lot of people are going to be talking about their relationship tonight, probably in somewhat of a celebratory tone. Maybe not. Conversations can sometimes change quickly. But for somebody that wants to have a productive conversation about improving the quality of their relationship in the context of tech, What's something that they should talk about? Ooh, that's a great question. So I would actually not advocate to take the TV out of the bedroom. Mm. I think that uh, one of the studies that my co-author Brandon McDaniel, who's a family scientist, and I did, we looked at people's bedtime routines and we tried to see what in a bedtime routine contributes to relationship satisfaction. And then relationship satisfaction is ultimately linked to their life satisfaction. And our most surprising finding is that Couples who went to bed and viewed tech together, they actually had a very positive relationship. So it had a positive correlation or a positive predictive relationship with relationship satisfaction. So watching Netflix with your partner in bed, watching it on the couch before you go to bed, those are actually bonding activities. It's when couples are choosing to engage in those technologies apart that seem less than ideal. So the other part of the study was asking people, what does your typical bedtime look like? What does your your ideal bedtime look like? And a lot of people are saying for their typical bedtime, they go to bed at different times. You know, one's on the couch, the other goes to bed early, puts the kids to bed, or they're both on their phones, but separate. And then when we asked them about their ideal bedtime, all of them almost said they wanted some type of either emotional intimacy, just talking about their day, or physical intimacy, even if it was just hand-holding or Mm. cuddling in bed, even if they didn't want sex. So one productive conversation would be, what would your ideal bedtime look like? And then try to make that happen. Start with tonight, and then you can see what happens over the next few days. It takes 66 days to solidify a habit, despite what you've heard about the 30 days. It takes twice that long to solidify a habit. So if you and your partner want to start going to get bed together, that's a really positive thing for a relationship. And tech in general should also not interfere with interactions. So technoference is another part of my research. When you choose to interact with your phone rather than your partner, that can be considered a rebuff. You know, you're saying to them, my phone is more 
important to me than you are right now. So I would really encourage people to say, do you feel like I pay attention more to my phone than to you? And how can I what can I do to stop that? Or how can I change that so that you're happier in this relationship? What you're saying, Ryan, about people having talks about their relationship, I don't really think that that happens that much. Tonight would be a great time for couples to say to each other, tell me like the top three things you love about me and the top three things that I could change to make you happier. I just don't see many people doing that, but it could be a really productive conversation. You sound like, oh man, you sound like you're counseling Carrie and I. Honestly, this is <laughs> this is Carrie. Like we go, we go out for dinner and she's like, Ask me. She's so good at it. I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm trying to really convey and spell it out how lucky I am to be with her. But she'll, she'll say like, ask me a question, or she'll say, what are three things you really love about me? And I, and I always laugh, you know, because I love how she teases it up like that. But it facilitates great conversation because otherwise. I'm like looking at the calendar and being like, what should we do here? When do we want to take our family vacation? What do, what do you think about this? Should we take this job offer? Should we go here? Should we do that? That's business. We're talking business and we're, we're at a beautiful restaurant or we've got a sitter or we're out walking the dogs or we're ice skating together. And it's like, why am I? She's really great at saying, like, why are you talking about that right now? Um, I don't intend to do that, but that's just how my brain is working. And I think her prompt to take a step back and focus on things that don't get addressed or that don't get discussed um, is really important. It's been really valuable to us. Yeah, she's a genius. I mean, she came upon naturally what a lot of people say is really healthy, which is to actually talk about the way that you feel. And for those of you who are not in such healthy and happy relationships, it might be a time to say, hey, what can we do to kind of spice things up or make things better? And I think there are a lot of people who are very, very unhappy. Lots of people, even in committed relationships, feel very lonely. They feel socially isolated. They feel that their needs aren't met. So it's a great time, I think, to take stock and reevaluate, but in a positive way that opens communication. And especially, I think a lot of people know this, but when, when you address issues outside the context of an argument, those issues can sometimes be much better tackled because people are not in heated states of mind. Um, but tonight, today, this is a day of love. So try to find ways to celebrate with your partner. And I hope that everyone feels as positive about their partner as you do about your wife. Mm, I, I love that. We're talking to Dr. Michelle Durant. If you're just joining us, live streaming our audio on the Mixler audio app, uh, the book Out of Touch, How to survive an intimacy famine. I want to ask you this before we wrap. Haas has a great comment here. It says all my long-term partners correlated my lack of desire for sex with a lack of love. And that was really frustrating. Uh, obviously people are wired differently. Everyone's priorities can be different. Um, people's triggers in a good way can be different. Um, in closing, I mean, how do you recognize an intimacy famine? And, and again, there's going to be people that are not even in relationships right now that might be curious to know this answer. People come at this from a lot of different angles. How do you recognize one? And ultimately, how do you survive it? Well, let me first address the idea about sexuality and love. I mean, these are not necessarily entangled concepts. Someone could be in a completely asexual relationship with someone and still love them. So there's ways to express your love physically, and then there are other ways to express your love. And depending on a person's past, they might not have positive associations with sex. That might not be part of what they want in a relationship. So I think that's something really important. Regarding getting out of the intimacy famine, I think our phones are both the solution and the potential 
detriment to that. We have all of these different types of intimacy that we can engage in with others. You know, part of that is physical, having sex, having a hug, having like a warm embrace, uh, holding a hand, but all of it can also be uh, intellectual intimacy. What we're sharing now, just sharing our ideas, sharing our opinions, social intimacy, uh, sharing our feelings about things and spiritual intimacy, experiential intimacy, what you described about going with your wife ice skating. I mean, those are different types of intimacy. So there are a lot of ways to engage in intimacy that can be facilitated by your phone, call people, text them, and then try to get to those deeper immersive experiences where you can really be vulnerable and have others be vulnerable with you. And I really think that's the key to life. If I've learned anything out of studying humans and relationships for the last couple of decades, it's that I think everyone feels a need to belong and everyone wants to feel loved right above feeling like you have your food and water and safety concerns met. You want to feel like you belong. You want to feel loved. So uh, if everyone needs to be loved, then let's make a conscious effort to use our technology to facilitate that rather than creating distance. So well said. Dr. Michelle Duran is a behavioral scientist and expert uh, and a professor of psychology at Purdue University, Fort Wayne. You can check out more about her new book, Out of Touch, How to Survive an Intimacy Famine by visiting drmichelledurand.com or, of course, wherever you buy great books. Thanks for making time for us today. And again, a very happy Valentine's Day to you and yours. You too. Thank you for having me. You bet. Uh, we've got some great comments here on the live chat. Uh, Craig says met his wife on Tinder. Well done. Nice job. Meantime, Lisa says, I refuse to torture myself with dating apps. Troy says, my wife and I met through a mutual friend who knew that we both liked Chaplin. Like Charlie Chaplin? I love that. I saw a picture of Charlie Chaplin the other day, like just posing sort of out of character, just in regular dude. Never would have recognized him. Had no idea Charlie Chaplin looked like that. Says, never thought I'd get married, Troy does, let alone to a Charlie Chaplin fan from Iraq. <laughs> there you go. Nicole met her husband on Lava Life in the summer of 06. That's another one. Lava Life. Whatever happened to Lava Life? And there's like eHarmony. There's all the big ones through the years. This is wild. All your relationship stories. Kim says, hear me out. This hits a little close to home for me, Kim. She says, snoring is the worst. And couples need a chance to sleep apart because good sleep solves everything. Says we've been married for 20 years. Maybe Kim has some stuff earlier in the chat that I missed. I wonder if Kim and her partner are sleeping in separate rooms. Interesting. Others, maybe separate beds. There are the couples. A lot of couples will swear by sleeping in separate rooms. There can be like the sex bed and the sleep bed. (laughs) Maybe alternate whose bed. Has the sex happening? I don't know. Jen says not separate beds, but always separate blankets. I heard that our friends Amy and Dustin, who just celebrated their wedding anniversary, I think like their 12th or something. Happy anniversary, lovebirds. They've switched to the same bed, separate blankets, which I guess they say has been a real relationship saver. Do you guys have a tip? I mean, I'm not asking for your bedroom secrets, Sam. We're getting a little personal on this February 14th, but. No, like we don't really have it. Like, because I mean, the funny thing is, is uh, I think we got married a week before Valentine's Day, so that we could just not care about Valentine's Day. Ooh, because uh, we don't care about Valentine's Day. Our our Valentine's Day tradition is going and eating a lot of fa, and we call it Valentine's Day nudes, and that's what it is. <laughs> and uh, so we go for noodles, and that's what we're gonna do tonight. Um, Valentine's but, Day nudes, I love it. it. Yeah, send, that's send it. if you and if you it's get very delivery, unglamorous. If you get delivery, they send nudes. Exactly. Send yeah, me some nudes. <laughs> um, the separate blanket sounds like a good idea because I fight for blankets all the time. Yeah. So that I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna pin that one. 
right there. Sarah Hoyles, I, I'm getting so very personal right now, but may I ask, you and I have never had this conversation. Um, I missed uh, my life trajectory. I just missed the advent of like online dating and apps and things like that. Have you ever, have you ever opened yourself up in that way? Or are you more of like a uh, see who you meet at the grocery store type person? Oh boy, Ryan! I know I'm getting it's very, very personal. I would never ask you this question in a job interview, but now on the but on the Real Talk Valentine's Day special, here it is. Here it is. <laughs> um, okay, yes, yeah. Online dating, uh, done like full gamut. So you done like the OK Cupid. Remember OK? I don't know if you. I don't. Maybe you don't. I don't. Okay. Um, so it used to be, you know, like plenty of fish having the the website. And then, you know, the emergence of apps. So, yeah, there was Tinder and then Tinder became kind of more of the hookup app. So then you needed to move over to Bumble because Bumble made it so the women had to take the make the first move. Right. And then it moved over to now it's Hinge. So it's always just like it it always changes and evolves. And it's all this. But really, it's all the same people. And yeah. It's kind of like I find it so demoralizing demoralizing really what's demoralizing about it it. why i hate it why (laughs) because it's just like this idea that yeah there's so many people out there um and i i don't know i'm a monogamist at heart like i i am not wired in any other way i've like i'm just i i can't so (laughs) um yeah i just i want to find one 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 gem i'm just looking for one gem just looking for one gem. Is there one was, gem? Is there is there yeah. like one no gem gem <laughs> or gem whatever gem well, might gem, be a, yeah. gem might be a gem who do I don't know. Uh, I just for people that have never like I get where oh boy do I want to go here I get why do some it. you know well some people are like oh Tinder's the worst just the worst and then for people that were never on Tinder they're like really. To just be like, nope, nope, yep, nope, yep, nope, yep, 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 nope, yep, yep. And then all of a sudden it's just like silver platter dating. I think for a lot of people, there's probably a real appeal to that. But I'm probably glossing over some of the real life experiences people have that might cloud that experience a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I just I feel like it's uh, it's not a box of chocolates. It's really (laughs) it's not. There's a lot of. I don't know why I find it demoralizing is because like at first I'm like, oh, this is exciting. Like, and I only last on them for like maybe 24 hours because I'm just like, I start off with like hope and like, this is going to be great. There's going to be so many options out there. Yeah. And then as I start to go through, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, no. What's the number one turnoff? What's the immediate no for you when you, when you see a profile, what's the first I mean, maybe aside from their posting from the auto occupation right now, that might be the number one. (laughs) But assuming they're not posting from downtown Ottawa. I I don't know. Maybe I'm looking too far into it, but just like photos, like when people scratch out um, uh, another person in the photo and I'm like, you don't don't have, first off, like, is that your ex? Is that your ex? And second off, second off, like, you don't have any other photos? Really? <laughs> some, uh, people, some people don't. You have the photo you love of yourself, and then that's your photo. No, but like in the bathroom? <laughs> I don't know. In the in When someone's like with their shirt off, I'm like, as soon as someone has their shirt off, I'm like, dude. Yeah. 
dude. Yeah. I don't, I don't need to see that right now. I don't like, but some people want to cut. Some people want to cut to the chase. You know? Yeah. You know, like not not for me. And then I just delete the app because I'm like, this is, I'm never going to find it. You're like, you're like, this is the worst. You're the shooting star. You're the shooting star on the dating app. It's like Hoyle signs up. She's there for 24 hours. So if you want to try to, you know, what's that? What's that book? <laughs> who's like, who's like, who's like the boy in space, not Astro Boy that used to like use his fishing net and catch shooting stars and ride them through space. Okay. I'm getting off track. It's a, <laughs> it's a real shame. I already read the Dairy Queen ad today because your life is not a box of chocolates thing would have transitioned so beautifully into a mention about red velvet cake. But what I can probably say is if you're feeling a little trashy today, what? If you're looking to get dirty on Valentine's, what? This is all you, man. I'm not I'm not jumping in on this one. If if you're looking to recycle past traditions or potentially build something new, why not trust the team at local waste? <laughs> With construction, commercial, and residential waste and recycling collection, they love working with their partners in long-term relationships or sometimes just flings. That's right. Maybe it's just a roofing job or new siding or a basement purge. A short-term deal, if you will. Swipe right to local waste. (laughs) And if you're looking to swipe left, I'm trying so hard on this. I hope Mikel and Lauren and Chris appreciate this. this. You got this. Our partnership with local waste is so important. If you want to swipe left, that's that's the no, right? The, the left swipe is saying no. Correct. If, if you're ready to swipe left on your previous waste and recycling partner and take your business to local waste, you can request a quote today at localwaste.ca. Same deal with our friends at Eden Landscaping. LandscapeEdmonton.ca is where you can view their portfolio and see some of the amazing work that Mike and his team have done over the years. They do the big acreage installations with the water features and the huge sprawling outdoor eating areas. Absolutely stunning. But they've also done a lot of work helping people maximize more modest spaces. How do you make the most of that back or front yard? How do you bring your outdoor space to life? That's what they do at Eden Landscaping. They are indeed the experts. We wanted to let you know, before we move on to talk about our friends at Kubi Energy, that tomorrow we're going to be reviewing our Get Real Question of the Week presented by our friends at Y Station. We're going to get into what you've said about the Ottawa occupation, about this convoy movement across the country, our Patreon supporters. And you can learn more about what that looks like on our website, ryanjesperson.com. Already have the top line report in their inboxes. You can review those. We'll get into it tomorrow. But we officially launch right now this week's Get Real Question of the Week. In partnership with Y Station, we're asking you two weeks ago, the Conservative Conservative Party of Canada axed Aaron O'Toole after just 18 months as leader. One lost election and out. We want to know if this surprised you. If you think the party was correct in making that decision, it was the MPs that did it. And what the future holds for the Conservative Party of Canada. I'm interested to see where you'll land on this Real Talkers. You can take our question of the week. It'll honestly take two minutes out of your day, maybe three max at RyanJesperson.com. Just click on connect and then fill out our question of the week. More than 900 of you did last week. And again, we'll get into those results. What you had to say about the convoy coming up tomorrow. You know, our friends at Kubi Energy, we've been telling you this about how they're bringing solar energy solutions uh, to Western Canada, powering people's industrial, agricultural, commercial 
commercial and residential setups that goes from the small garden sheds, the ag applications, I mean, stuff out in the field. You know that they're keeping cows water stations heated far from frozen using solar. How cool is that? And then, of course, the big convention center installs. They're doing it all. The solar's more affordable now than ever before. The batteries are lasting longer, and the team at Kubi Energy is on top of it all. They're certified Tesla installers are ready to work with you. You're only getting apprentices and journeyman installers, so you know the job is done right from the very first step to the last. You can find them in Alberta and BC online all the time at kubienergy.ca. Now, we start every week off on the right foot, looking in the right direction, especially on Valentine's Day. Thanks to our friends, our sponsors at Kubi Energy. It's a feature we call Positive Reflections. Now, we've got a bunch of really positive reflections submitted from you to talk at ryanjesperson.com and some photos and some videos and some stories of random acts of kindness and people paying it forward. And we've got them locked away. They're ready for next week because we received this from Emery just last night. And it's a special Valentine's Day letter to Real Talk. And I thought this was perfect timing for this February 14th edition of Positive Reflections. To my fellow Real Talkers, writes Emery, today's the day where millions, maybe even billions of people around the world will take at least a moment or two to convey their love and appreciation to someone in their life that makes them feel loved and valued. To me, that's you, says Emery, all of you. In fact, this year, she says, I'm, I'm going back to how I used to approach Valentine's Day in elementary school with a fistful of virtual Valentines ready to ask each and every one of you if you will be my Valentine, if you'll be the one to walk hand in hand with me. I mean, sanitized, distanced and masked if that makes you feel more comfortable. Let's say if you'll navigate this wild world alongside me as friends and confidants and explorers together in a way every morning I wake up with you all sometimes I'm with you live most times I join you later but, but I feel like we grow together like we're better together like maybe we wouldn't even know what to do without each other the thought occurred to me this weekend and I thought that this just had to be a positive reflection for the morning of February 14th sincerely legitimately I love and appreciate you all and I'm grateful to have you in my life happy Valentine's Day that from Emery Emery couldn't say it better myself and so we're going to leave this as the standalone positive reflection on this valentine's day you nailed what we're all about and we so appreciate it we wanted to let you know that uh, coming up tomorrow on the show of course we'll continue to analyze the stories that are making news across the country can't believe we didn't talk about the Super Bowl even once today. What am I even doing? You can send me your thoughts on the Super Bowl. But this film, I'm really looking forward to getting into this. The Last of the Right Whales. It's a phenomenally powerful look into one of the world's most majestic creatures. And the filmmaker is going to join us right here on the show. In the meantime, make sure you share what we're doing with people that you think might benefit from these real conversations. Go ahead and subscribe to us on YouTube and the podcast platforms. We love it when you smash like and leaving a review means even more. We're looking forward to seeing your reports on how Valentine's Day went for you. And for those of you for whom it's a tough day, we're sending you much love. We're thinking about you too. Thanks for being here with us on this Monday and we'll talk to you soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson 
Editorial producer, Sarah Hoyles. Technical producer, Sam Brooks. Managing director, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Tanya Franklin. Merchandise operations, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis Settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated, all rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.